All right, let's talk about the second half of Volume 1 of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Mr. Collins has come to stay with the Bennett family, and he is, we see what a kind of very comic, unintentionally comic figure he is. Um, when Mr. Bennett, who has kind of had a hint from his letter what kind of a person he would be, he uh, brings up the subject of Lady Catherine, and because he knows that's something that he'll go on and on about. And you notice he keeps, Mr. Collins keeps talking about Lady Catherine constantly. He's kind of like a guy, you know, he's, um, you know, he's been to Harvard. And every time that the conversation with him, he comes up, well, you know, when I was at Harvard, you know, at Harvard, we used to, uh, you know, we do things differently at Harvard. He just, he has a one-track mind. He's always showing off. But in that case, it's, it's something you've actually accomplished. I mean, you got into Harvard and did something. This is just, it's like his his boss, Mr. Collins, is living off the high social status of of the the lady who he's essentially working for. He's her parish priest. Um so he's always praising her. We find out that she has a daughter who's who's sickly, who will become important later in the plot. Uh so we get a lot of information that way. And Mr. Bennett is just egging him on. He says, oh, you, you compliment Lady Catherine all the time. Do you, are those spontaneous compliments or do you think them up beforehand? Um, and uh, uh, he says that, no, he, he thinks of those little delicate compliments which are always acceptable to ladies, kind of has them in, in reserve. And uh, Mr. Bennett says, you judge very properly, said Mr. Bennett. And it is happy for you that you possess the talent of flattering with delicacy. Now, of of course, Mr. Bennett is shining him on here. There's nothing delicate or subtle about anything that Mr. Collins does. As, As the narrator tells us, Mr. Bennett's expectations were fully answered. His cousin was as absurd as he hoped, and he listened to him with the keenest enjoyment, maintaining at the same time the most resolute composure of countenance. And except in an occasional glance at Elizabeth, requiring no partner in his pleasure. So this is very typical of Mr. Bennett. He is he's a spectator. He is enjoying the spectacle of this and it's entertaining to him. And also it's typical that he shares it with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the only one who kind of gets the the, the humorous uh, uh, feeling that her father has for these kinds of situations. And the narrator goes into detail about um uh, Mr. Collins' character. This is in chapter 15, uh, the, the top of page 51 in the Norton edition. A fortunate chance had recommended him to Lady Catherine de Burr, who, when the living of Hunsford was vacant, and the respect which he felt for her high rank, and his veneration for her as his patroness, mingling with a very good opinion of himself, of his authority as a clergyman, and his rights as a rector, made him altogether a mixture of pride and obsequiousness, self-importance and humility. So he is this blending of opposite. He's very proud, but he's also, you know, a a brown nose. Uh, He feels very important, but also very humble. Uh, And that's what, you know, he's he's very proud of his uh, his patroness, um, or he's very obsequious toward his patroness, but he's very proud of himself and how wonderful he is, and he thinks he's more wonderful because she's wonderful. And we also find out the reason he's here is that he wants to marry. He wants to choose one of the daughters. Now, notice that when he finds out 
that uh, or Mrs. Bennett is making quite a lot of the romance between Jane and Bingley. And when Mr. Collins finds that out, it said Mr. Collins had only to change from Jane to Elizabeth, and it was soon done, done while Mrs. Bennett was stirring the fire. Elizabeth, equally, next to Jane in birth and beauty, succeeded her in course. Now, he's, he's coming to marry, and he apparently doesn't really care who, who he marries. He figured, well, of course, I'll marry the oldest girl. Hmm, she seems to be having this romance with somebody else. Uh, well, Elizabeth, I'll marry Elizabeth then. Uh, that, that seems to be the extent of it. It's showing us the, the shallowness of his character. That, that's the extent of the, the thought that he puts into it uh, in picking somebody to marry. Now, in chapter 15, uh, we get introduced to a very important character in the book, Mr. Wickham. Uh, he's there because he is joining up the army. Remember, the, the soldiers are stationed in the nearby town, and that's why the, the two youngest daughters keep going into town to see the handsome soldiers. And Mr. Wickham is there. He is going to join up as well. And he sees Mr. Darcy. Uh, this is the bottom of 52 in Norton edition. Mist, uh, it says, he was then, he said, on his way to Longburn on purpose to inquire after her. Mr. Darcy con, uh, con corroborated it with a bow and was beginning to determine not to fix his eyes on Elizabeth when they were suddenly arrested by the sight of the stranger, that is Mr. Wickham, and Elizabeth, happening to see the countenance of both as they looked at each other, was all astonished at the all astonishment at the effect of the meeting. Both changed color. One looked white, the other red. Mr. Wickham, after a few moments, touched his hat, uh, a salutation which Mr. Darcy just deigned to return. What could be the meaning of it? It was impossible to imagine. It was impossible not to long to know. So she sees instantly there's something, there's a little exchange, one turned white, the other turned red. Now, interestingly, she doesn't tell us which, who turned what, but they're both very, uh, you know, shocked and embarrassed at this meeting. So she, and Elizabeth, who is very observant, realizes that immediately. Now, in the next chapter, we see that the uh, a ball, now again, these uh, balls are always important, these dances. And looking, and this is chapter 16, uh, page 55 of my edition. Mr. Wickham was the happy man towards whom almost every female eye was turned, and Elizabeth was the happy woman by whom he finally seated himself. And the agreeable manner in which he immediately fell into conversation, though it was only on its uh, being a wet night, and on the probability of a rainy season, made her feel that the the commonest, dullest, most threadbare topic might be rendered interesting by the skill of the speaker. Now, I want you to think about, and, and Jane Austen really sets these kinds of things up in opposition. So remember, we had the earlier ball where uh, Darcy was so rude and, you know, kind of refused to talk to anyone, refused to dance with Elizabeth. And Wickham is set up here as the polar opposite of that. He seats right next to, sits right next to Elizabeth. Uh, he can talk to her about anything. It's just small talk. They're just talking about the weather. But he is so, uh, so charming that it makes it okay. Um, 
And in fact, he's he's uh, charming with everyone. You know, he says at first there seems danger of Lydia's engrossing him entirely. So her youngest sister uh, is, is was was talking with him, and uh, but she got interested in, in the uh, the party, and so we're left with Elizabeth and Wickham. And notice how their uh, their conversation turns towards Darcy. Mr. Wickham says that he is very familiar with Darcy, that he, he knows him, and uh, Elizabeth is surprised. And this is on page 56. You may well be surprised, Miss Bennet, at such an assertion after seeing, as you probably might, the very cold manner of our meeting yesterday. Are you much acquainted with Mr. Darcy? As much as I ever wish to be, cried Elizabeth warmly. Uh, they... Uh, I have spent four days in the same house with him, and I think him very disagreeable. Now, notice Wickham is kind of feeling her out. As a, he's, he knows, oh, well, you must have seen the kind of, we had a, a little kind of bad moment there when we met. Um, how well do you know Mr. Darcy? He asked that before he goes into all of this. Um, and he's very resonant. I have no right to give my opinion as to his being agreeable or otherwise. I am not qualified to form one. So he's very reticent. He's not kind of, he doesn't come in and say, oh, that horrible, horrible Darcy, he's, he's terrible. He says, well, I really, you know, shouldn't say anything about it. I don't have the, the right to say anything. Elizabeth, though, is, is not shy about, uh, you know, piling on on Darcy. She says that everybody is disgusted with his pride. You, uh, you will not find him more favorably spoken of by anyone. Um, Mr. Wickham says, I cannot pretend to be sorry. Um, and he goes on, he tells her, you know, the top of page 57, we are not on friendly terms. Uh, and the reason is that uh, Mr. Wickham says he was mentioned in the will of Mr. Darcy's father, the, the, the older Mr. Darcy, now deceased, and he was cheated out of his inheritance, uh, according to him, by the by Mr. Darcy. Uh, he says, his behavior to myself has been scandalous, and I very belie- verily believe I could forgive him anything and everything rather than his disappointing the hopes and disgracing the memory of his father. So it's, it's not what he's done to me. It's, it's disgracing his father that really is so terrible. And he says this is why he's... Uh, he, he had a... Um, it was going, you know, an inheritance that he was going to get. He says, a military life is not what I was intended for, but circumstances have now made it eligible. The church ought to have been my profession. I was brought up for the church, and I should at this time have been in possession of a most valuable living had it pleased the gentleman we were speaking of just now. Indeed? Yes. The late Mr. Darcy, Darcy bequeathed me the next presentation of the best living in his gift. He was my godfather and excessively attached to me. I cannot do justice to his kindness. He meant to provide for me amply and thought he had done it, but when the living fell, it was given elsewhere. Good heavens, cried Elizabeth, but how could that be? How could uh, his will be discarded? Uh, Why did you not seek legal redress? And he said, well, you know, the law, there, there's technicalities, and he was able to, to cheat me out of it, and I, you know, I, I wasn't able to, to have the inheritance. Um, 
And he says at the top of 58, Wickham says, I cannot accuse myself of having really done anything to deserve to lose it, to lose his inheritance. I have a warm, unguarded temper, and I may perhaps have sometimes spoken of my opinion of, of, of him, of him and to him, too freely. I can recall nothing worse. But the fact is that we are very different sort of men, and that he hates me. This is quite shocking. He deserves to be publicly disgraced. Um, and you know, Wickham goes on and says, well, it's... Now notice, Wickham isn't giving a whole lot of details here. Um, and he keeps saying, well, I don't want to speak ill of him, and then really speaking ill of him. But why does Elizabeth buy this? Well, because she already has a negative view of Darcy. She is ready to hear this. In fact, she says, oh, yeah, I remember I heard him say that he had an unforgiving temper, that once you, you were on his bad side, he would never forgive you. Uh, so so everything she says is, you know, when you hear something you want to believe, it's very easy to believe it. And that's what's happening here with Elizabeth. Um, and they begin to talk more about pride. Well, almost all of his actions may be traced to pride. Um the, the filial pride, the pride for his family, the brotherly pride for his sister. And Elizabeth asks on page 59, what sort of girl is Miss Darcy, that is, uh, uh, Darcy's younger sister? Uh, she is too much like her brother, very, very proud. Um, and Elizabeth asks a, a, an, impo an important question, how can Mr. Bingley, who seems good-humored himself, good humor itself, and is, I really believe, truly amiable, be in friendship with such a man. How can they suit each other? Do you know Mr. Bingley? So, you know, well, wait a minute. Bingley, how would Bingley be a friend with a man like she's describing? And we also find out that uh, Lady Catherine de Burr uh, is Darcy's aunt, and that her daughter is expected to be, eventually, to be uh, Darcy's wife. Now, there was a lot of intermarrying among the aristocracy, so it's not shocking that a, a, a distant cousin would, uh, would, be, would get married. Um, and Elizabeth, you know, takes all of this in. And notice that the end of the chapter, it says, whatever he, uh, Wickham said, was said well, and whatever he did, done gracefully. Elizabeth went away with her head full of him. Now, in the next chapter, she tells Jane. You know, Jane listened with astonishment and concern. Um, and look at how Jane processes this. Now, we've already found out that Jane tends to look on the pleasant side, whereas uh, Elizabeth tends to be uh, more negative and more critical. Um she knew not how to believe that Mr. Darcy could be so unworthy of Mr. Bingley's regard, and yet it was not in her nature to question the veracity of a young man of such amiable appearance as Wickham. The possibility of his having really endured such unkindness was enough to in interest all her tender feelings, and nothing therefore remained to be done but to think well of them both, to defend the conduct of each and throw into the account of accident or mistake whatever could be not, not be otherwise explained. So Jane's instinct is to think, well, th there's got to be some accident, there's some mistake, there's some misunderstanding uh, that, that 
you know, Darcy's, you know, Wickham seems like a nice guy. Darcy really seems like a nice guy. Uh, I'm sure that they're both nice guys, and it was just some kind of uh, misunderstanding. And she tells uh, Elizabeth, it is difficult indeed. It is distressing. One does not know what to think. To which Elizabeth replies, I beg your pardon. One knows exactly what to think. But Jane could not think with certainty on uh, uh, on only one point, that Mr. Bingley, if he had been imposed on, would have uh, have much to suffer when the affair became public. So the main thing Jane's worried about is if if this is all true, and uh, Mr. Bingley doesn't know about it, it's going to be it's going to be terrible for him when the when the story comes out. Now this shows you uh, the real difference between these two sisters. Again, Jane is going to take the the optimistic side. Uh, Elizabeth is going to be much more critical, uh, and she you know, can't believe that Jane won't uh, won't, won't uh, join her in condemning Darcy. Um, and she also can't wait to go to the the ball and see Wickham and Darcy in public together and have the you know the humiliation there. There's a kind of a, there's a kind of a little uh, mean streak in uh, in Elizabeth at times, but unfortunately, it finds out. She finds out that Mr. Collins kinds of kind of corners her and uh, offers to dance the first two dances at the at the ball with her. So she's kind of stuck dancing with him uh, at the beginning of the ball. Now, chapter eighteen is a very long chapter, and it's about one of the longer chapters in the book, and it's all about this ball. And it turns out to be an important turning point in several ways for the plot, though you don't really realize that until later on. Uh, you know, one of the things that's so great about Jane Austen is how very carefully and delicately constructed her plots are. Um, it seems kind of a natural flow of events, but when you look back, you see that everything has been very carefully building. So let's look at what happens here. First of all, when Elizabeth gets there, she sees that Wickham is not attending, and this just makes her furious. She had been looking forward to dancing with him and talking to him. He was charming, and of course, she completely blames uh, Darcy for the fact that he's not there, and of course, she's right about that. Darcy is the reason he's not there. Then, on top of that, she has to, again, dance the first two dances with Mr. Collins. Look at the way that's described um, on page 65, chapter 18. The first two dances, however, brought a return of distress. They were dances of mortification. Mr. Collins, awkward and solemn, apologizing instead of attending, and often moving wrong without being aware of it, gave her all the shame and misery which a disagreeable partner for a couple of dances can give. The moment of her release from him was ecstasy. Um... I love that phrase that Mr. Collins often moved, was often moving wrong without being aware of it. Now, of course, it's talking about the dance. He's just not a good dancer. But that's really true of Mr. Collins' character in general. He lacks self-awareness, and so he does the wrong thing without even ever knowing it. And this also shows us how completely incompatible uh, Elizabeth and Mr. Collins are. Uh, she also, Elizabeth, begins to hear things about Wickham, finds out that he's universally liked, and she has to, Elizabeth has to now dance with Darcy. He's, uh, uh, you know, taken her by surprise, and now she's kind of stuck dancing with him. And uh, But her friend Charlotte uh, says, I dare say you will find him very agreeable. And Elizabeth replies, heaven forbid, 
That would be the greatest misfortune of all, to find a man agreeable whom one is determined to hate. Do not wish on me such an evil. So now she's dancing with Darcy. She didn't want to dance with Mr. Collins. She doesn't want to dance with Darcy. It's not going, the night's not going well. And she, at first, isn't going to say anything about Wickham. But then notice why she does. This is the very bottom of 65. Um, they stood for some time without speaking a word, and she began to imagine that their silence was to last through the two dances, and at first was resolved not to break it. Till, it sudden, till suddenly, fancying that it would be the greater punishment to, uh, to her partner to oblige him to talk, she made some slight uh, observation on the dance. So the reason she's talking to him is she thinks that, that will upset, he'll be more upset about having to talk to her than he would otherwise. Um, and she says something, and he doesn't respond. And she says, it is your turn to say something now, Mr. Darcy. I talked about the dance. Now you ought to make some kind of remark on the uh, the size of the room or the number of couples. Now, remember how easy Wickham was in his small talk and how delightful it was? And Darcy just doesn't do small talk. He doesn't know how to respond to it. She, she has to kind of school him on this. Um, so again, we're seeing a contrast between these two men. And Elizabeth says that... Um, uh, to Darcy, I have seen a great similarity in the turn of our minds. We are each of an unsocial, taciturn disposition, unwilling to speak unless we expect to say something that will amaze the whole room and be handed down to posterity with all the uh, eclat of a proverb. Now, she's just making fun of Darcy here. You know, uh, that doesn't really seem to be what Elizabeth's character is. Um, but it's a way, she's just provoking him. But I think she's right about his character, that that is what he is like. Uh, and she, they get to the, the topic of making a, a new acquaintance. And, of course, Darcy knows she's talking about Wickham. And he says, Mr. Wickham is blessed with such happy manners as may ensure his making friends, whether he may be equally capable of retaining them is less certain. Um, now, notice... A very different. First of all, Mr. Darcy isn't pretending that he uh, uh, anything about him is not liking Mr. Wickham. He's very upfront about that, um, and he also seems to make a, a very interesting point. Yes, Wickham's very charming. See how that lasts in the long run. And notice another topic that comes up in their conversation. Uh, this is on the bottom of page sixty-seven. Um, Elizabeth says, I remember hearing you once say, Mr. Darcy, that you hardly ever forgave, that your resentment uh, once created was unappeasable. You were very cautious, I suppose, as to it being, its being created. Now, she's again, she's kind of alluding to the situation with Wickham without coming out and saying it. This, I am, said he, with a firm voice, and never allow yourself to be blinded by prejudice? I hope not. It is particularly incumbent on those who never change their opinion to be secure of judging properly at first. May I ask to what these questions tend? He knows he knows what's going on here, what she's talking about. But here, of course, you know, in a book called Pride and Prejudice, when they're talking about prejudice, you know, your ears should perk up. Uh, she's saying that, look, oh, so you're never you're you're never wrong. You're never uh, influenced by prejudice. Uh, 
Of course, ironically, it may be Elizabeth who is being blinded by prejudice here. But this, so this conversation does not go well. She doesn't learn really anything about the uh, what happened between uh, uh, Wickham and Darcy. But after it, Miss Bingley comes up. Remember uh, Bingley's sister, who's been trying to throw herself at uh, Mister Darcy, um, and she warns her. Uh, she warns Elizabeth about Wickham. Um, it says, as to Mr. Darcy's using him ill, it is perfectly false. Um, but Elizabeth dismisses this. Again, when you want to believe something, you dismiss things that uh, that would contradict it. And she has a pretty good reason. She knows that uh, Miss Bingley is trying to uh, get uh, Darcy for herself. She knows that she doesn't that uh, Miss Bingley doesn't like her. Uh, so she just dismisses that. Uh, in fact, she says, you were much, mis-, this is uh, in her interior voice, Elizabeth says, you were much mistaken if you expect to influence me by such a paltry attack as this. I see nothing in it but your own willful ignorance and the malice of Mr. Darcy. So she's not going to be taken in by all of this. Now, Jane, meanwhile, has talked to Bingley about it, and she says, the middle of 69, Mr. Bingley does not know the whole of his history and is quite ignorant of the circumstances which have principally offended Mr. Darcy, but he will vouch for the good conduct, the the probability and honor, uh, the probity and honor of his friend, and is perfectly convinced that Mr. Wickham has deserved much less attention from Mr. Darcy than he has received. And I am sorry to say, by his account, as well as his sister's, Mr. Wickham is by no means a respectable young man. Um, And Elizabeth says, Mr. Bingley does not know Mr. Wickham himself? Again, she's dismissing this. Okay, okay, sure, he's standing up for his friend, but he doesn't know Wickham, and you you just said he doesn't know what happened. Why should I pay any attention to any of this? Um, So then the next uh, kind of big incident at the ball is when Mr. Collins learns that Mr. Darcy is related to uh, Lady Catherine, uh, and he's going to go and introduce himself. Now, this is a huge social faux pas. It is not proper for somebody of Mr. Collins' social status to just go up and say hello to somebody of Mr. Darcy's social status. You are supposed to be introduced. Somebody says, oh, Mr. Darcy, let me introduce you to Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins is going to uh, ignore all of that social etiquette and just go up to him and he says, well, it's okay because he's uh, my uh, patroness is his aunt, so he'll be delighted. Um and of course, Darcy is just—he's kind of—can't uh, believe that it was happening. Though again, Mr. Collins is completely clueless. He says, uh, uh, "Line uh, on page seventy-one, I have no reason, I assure you," he said, "to be dissatisfied with my reception." Mr. Darcy seemed much pleased with the attention. He answered me with the utmost civility, and even paid me the compliment of saying that he was so well convinced of Lady Catherine's discernment as to be certain she would never bestow a, a favor unwilling, un, unworthily. It was really a very handsome thought. Upon the whole, I am much pleased with him. Again, he just doesn't, you know, of course, Darcy was giving him the brush off. He doesn't get it. Uh, and Elizabeth understands that this is socially unacceptable. And then we get her mother, 
Mrs. Bennett is talking loudly about the fact that Jane and Bingley are going to be married as if it's already happened. That's another big social faux pas. There is no no offer has been made. There's no proposal. You don't talk about, the. you know, she's already making wedding plans here. And it's very embarrassing. And Darcy is there and he hears it. And so uh, so do the, uh, the, the uh, Bingley sisters. Uh, and, and again, Elizabeth is just mortified by this. She can't believe that this is happening. Now, there are several important strands in the plot that are set up here. Um, a lot of things are going to happen uh, because of this, uh, uh, this ball uh, that don't seem apparent at the moment. Now, the next day we get chapter 19 and we get Mr. Collins' proposal. Uh, he asks to have the the room with just himself and Elizabeth. And, uh, of course, Mrs. Ben is, oh, of course, because she knows what's going to happen. And, and Elizabeth says, oh, no, let's not do that. And finally she says, well, you know, better to just get this over with. And so this is chapter 19, page 76. Look at how Collins proposes. Almost as soon as I entered the house, I singled you out as the uh, the companion of my future life. Now, that's kind of equivocal, almost as soon, because originally he thought it would be Jane. Um, but before I uh, run away with, uh, before I am run away with my feelings on the subject, perhaps it will be advisable for me to state my reasons for marriage, and moreover, for coming to Herefordshire with the design of selecting a wife, as I certainly did. Um, so again, and Elizabeth is kind of amused by the idea of him being run away with his feelings. He's not that kind of guy. Um, and look at what his reasons are. He says, uh, my reasons for marrying are first, that I think it a right thing for every clergyman in every circumstance, like in easy circumstance, like myself, to set the example of matrimony for his parish. So the, the, his first reason, his number one reason, look, I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm the parson in, in my area, and it's, it's good for me to set an example for the congregation by getting married myself. Secondly, that I am uh, convinced that it, will add, that it will add very greatly in my happiness. And thirdly, which perhaps I ought to have mentioned earlier, that it is the particular advice and recommendation of the very noble lady whom I have the honor of calling patroness. And he goes on, on and on about this. Okay, so so here are his reasons to get married. It sets an example for my for my parishioners. It will make me happy, and Lady Catherine thinks it's a good idea. Now he also says that because of the entail, he's going to inherit the the estate, and so he can kind of make it up to the family by marrying one of the daughters, and then the estate stays in the family that way. Um. Nothing. Do you notice? There's nothing here personal about Elizabeth. There's nothing he likes about Elizabeth. Uh, it, this is all it, he could. He could say this, and probably does, to anyone he was going to marry. Uh, it, it's it's not anything personal. It's all this kind of abstract list, and Elizabeth turns him down which he kind of ignores. He says, oh, that's usual with young ladies. I know you, you are always playing hard to get, and I, I'm not surprised that you said no the first time. I'll just keep asking, and eventually you'll say yes. That's how this works. And Elizabeth says no, page 77. 
I do assure you that I am not one of those young ladies, if such young ladies there are, who are so daring as to risk the, their happiness on the chance of being asked a second time. I am perfectly serious in my refusal. You could not make me happy, and I am convinced that I am the last woman in the world who could make you so. Uh, now, notice what she says. Look, I'm not, you know, if I turn you down, I'm serious. I, I don't expect you that, you know, you're going to ask again. I, I can't imagine a, a girl who would be foolish enough to do that. I would never be happy with you. I wouldn't make you happy. Um, now, again, Collins just ignores this. As he pompously puts it, I know it to be the established custom of your sex to reject a man on the first application. Again, oh, well, yes, you said no, but that's just the thing. And he also says to her, it is by no means certain that another offer of marriage will ever be made to you. Your portion is unhappily so small that it will in all likelihood undo the effects of your loveliness and and, and uh, amiable qualifications. And look what he's just said. Uh, you know, I, well, I know you're you're joking because you may never get proposed to again in your life. You don't have any money because all of the estate is going to me, and that that could be a big barrier to you. Now, in, in chapter 20, when Mrs. Collins discovers that uh, Elizabeth has refused a proposal, she says that Lizzie shall be brought to reason. I will speak to her about it myself directly. She is very headstrong and foolish, a very headstrong and foolish girl, and does not know her own interest, but I will make her know it. And Mr. Collins says, well, if she's headstrong and foolish, maybe I shouldn't marry her. So, oh, no, no, no. She's just headstrong and foolish about this. Don't worry. We'll get this all straightened out. Um, and she, she calls on her, her husband, Mr. Bennett, you must come and make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins. So we go into the study and we have uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett and Elizabeth there talking about this. Um, and uh, the father says, um, come here, child, cried her father. Uh, as she appeared, I have a sent for you on an affair of importance. I understand that Mr. Collins has made you an offer of marriage. Is it true? Elizabeth, Elizabeth replied that it was. Very well. And this offer of marriage you have refused? I have, sir. Very well. We now come to the point. Your mother insists upon you your accepting it. Is it not so, Mrs. Bennet? Yes, or I will never see her again. An unhappy alternative is before you, Elizabeth. From this day you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins, and I will never see you again if you do. Elizabeth could not but smile at such a conclusion from such a, uh, a beginning. Um, so Mr. Collins, you know, he says, well, your mother says she, won't, she will never speak to you again if you don't marry Mr. Collins. Well, I won't ever speak to you again if you do. And that that uh, Elizabeth's reaction there, such a smile at such a conclusion from such a beginning, that's a consistent strategy in um, uh, Pride and Prejudice uh, from the very from the very opening sentence. It begins one way and it goes another. That first chapter leads you to expect one thing. The next chapter shows you that something different is happening. And that, that's that's actually the structure of a lot of jokes, right? And it's certainly the structure of the joke he's making here. Mr. Collins, is, now notice, Mr. Collins doesn't say anything about the financial situation. He doesn't worry about that. He would be appalled 
if uh, a daughter as as bright and vivacious as Elizabeth married a pompous fool like Mr. Collins. He's not having it. Now, notice how Mr. Collins reacts to all this. Now, this is page 81. He thought too well of himself to comprehend on what uh, motive his cousin could refuse him, and though his pride was hurt, he suffered in no other way. He regarded her, his regard for her was quite imaginary, and the probability of her deserving her mother's reproach prevented his feeling any regret. Um, so, uh, again, he is so kind of unselfish. He can't imagine there would be any, re- any problem with him as to why she didn't want to marry him, so it must be a problem with her. Now, notice that um, Mrs. Bennett does talk about the economics of the situation. She says, I do not know who is to maintain you when your father is dead. I shall not be able to keep you, and so I warn you. I have done with you from this very day. I told you in the library, you know, that I should never speak to you again, and you will find me as good as my word. She goes on to say, I have no pleasure in talking to undutiful children, not that I have much pleasure indeed in talking to anybody. People who suffer as I do from nervous complaints can have no great inclination for talking. Nobody can uh, uh, tell what I suffer, but it is always so. uh, Those who do not complain are never pitied. Uh, Wow, how would Mrs. Bennett know? She complains all the time. She says she's not a great talker. She's talking all the time. She has the same, uh, uh, similar kind of lack of self-knowledge as as Mr. Collins and other comical characters in the story. Uh, But it brings up, again, this contrast between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. Um, Mrs. Bennett just wants her daughters to be married. And it's not just a frivolous, silly thing. If they don't get well married, they're going to be poor. She doesn't have enough money to support them. Uh, Mr. Collins never mentions that. He doesn't talk about that. He wants Elizabeth, certainly, to marry somebody that she really loves, somebody that will be good for her. Um, So we see that in some ways, Mr. Bennett is more of a romantic and Mrs. Bennett is more pragmatic than we might have first thought. Again, this book is full of first impressions that turn out to be wrong. Now, in the next chapter, chapter 21, we get, or or, uh, Jane gets a letter delivered from Miss Bingley saying that all of that uh, Mr. Bingley and she and uh, Darcy are all going to London and aren't planning on coming back. They're just leaving. Uh, And this is a real blow to Jane because it means that there's no chance for to continue her relationship with Mr. Bingley. And it also mentions Mr. Darcy's younger sister who is living in London and suggests that they're going to get married. Now, Again, as we had the the kind of debate between Jane and Elizabeth about the the news about Wickham and what that said what that meant about Mr. Darcy's character, they also debate about this. Jane is knows that or feels that this must be Mr. Bingley is not that interested in her that he's he's going to go marry this uh, this other woman, uh, Darcy's sister. Elizabeth feels differently. She says, Miss Bingley sees that her brother is in love with you and wants him to marry Miss Darcy. 
She follows him to town in the hope of keeping him there and tries to persuade you that he does not care about you. Um, and Jane says, well, you know, Mr. Bingley's a grown-up. He's not going to be manipulated by, that way. Uh, but there, as we'll see this uh, play out, we have to see who's, who's got the better interpretation of what's going on here. Now, in chapter 22, we get the very interesting news that Charlotte Lucas, Elizabeth's friend, is, has accepted a, a, a proposal from Mr. Collins. More than that, from the moment that she came over to the house, when the, the day that uh, uh, Collins uh, proposed to Elizabeth and was rejected, she has been talking to him, getting on his good side. And it says, this is the beginning of chapter 22, page 87, she was there to secure her from any return of Mr. Collins' addresses by seeing her, Elizabeth, from any return of Mr. Collins' addresses by engaging them toward herself. And Charlotte does not, Charlotte Lucas does not have any romantic intentions. It says she accepted him solely from the pure and disinterested desire of an establishment. And look at this is on page uh, 88. It says, Charlotte herself was tolerably composed. She had gained her point and had uh, time to consider of it. Her reflections were to uh, general were in general satisfactory. Mr. Collins, to be sure, was neither sensible nor agreeable. His society was irksome, and his attachment to her must be imaginary. But still, he would be her husband. Without thinking highly either of men or of matrimony, marriage had always been her object. It was the only honorable provision for a well-educated young woman of small fortune, and however uncertain of giving happiness, must be their uh, their pleasantest uh, preservative from want. This preservative she had now obtained, and at the age of twenty-seven, without ever having been handsome, she felt all the good luck of it. So notice, again, this is a very unromantic idea about marriage. She's not may not be happy, but she won't be poor. And she's very clear-eyed about this. It's not like Mr. Collins, you know, doesn't realize whether a woman would be good or bad for him. Um, Charlotte understands pretty clearly that this is not, he's not a real uh, a wonderful man to build a life with, but he's well off. It will be a good uh, a financial arrangement for her, and that's enough. The main thing she's worried about is it's going to upset uh, uh, her, her very good friend, Elizabeth, who is upset and kind of, of incredulous when she finds out what's happened. And so this, again, these kind of wonderful parallels that uh, Austin sets up, Elizabeth's rejection of Collins and uh, Charlotte's acceptance of him show these two different characters, two different approaches, two different uh, worldviews uh, that are at play in the novel. And we get some more insight into the characters by their various reactions to this news about uh, Charlotte marrying uh, Mr. Collins. This is in chapter 23 on page 91. Mrs. Bennett was in fact too much overpowered to say a great deal while Sir William, that's uh, Charlotte's father, remained. But no sooner had he left them than her feelings found a rapid vent. In the first place, she persisted in disbelieving the whole matter. Secondly, she was very sure that Mr. Collins had been taken in. 
Thirdly, she trusted that they would never be happy together, and fourthly, that the match might be broken off. Uh, two inferences, however, were plainly deduced from the whole. One, that Elizabeth was the real cause of all the mischief, and the other, that she herself had been barbarously used by them all. And on these two points, she principally dwelt during the rest of the day. Now, notice her reactions are kind of over the... I don't believe it. She, uh, Mr. Collins has been tricked. Uh, it'll never last. Maybe they'll break off the thing. It's all Elizabeth's fault. This is the kind of flighty uh, uh, reaction that Mrs. Bennett has. Look at the difference of Mr. Bennett's reaction. Mr. Bennett's emotions were much more tranquil on the occasion, and such as he did experience, he pronounced to be of most agreeable sort. For it gratified him, he said, to discover that Charlotte Lucas, whom he had been used to think of tolerably sensible, was as foolish as his wife and more foolish than his daughter. Again, we get that kind of very detached uh, humor that Mr. Bennett has. Is uh, You know, I, I kind of thought that Charlotte was a sensible girl, but oh, clearly she's just as silly and stupid as everybody else in the world. Um, you know, she's almost as, as, as silly as my wife, certainly a lot worse than my daughter. Um, very, very different reactions. And again, tells you a lot about their characters and again, a, a, a different kinds of views of the world. But the other big news here is, of course, that Mr. Bingley is not returning, and Jane is despondent about that. Now, in the next section that I would like you to read, the first half of Volume 2, the first 10 chapters, chapters 1 through 10 of Volume 2, or if your edition doesn't break it up into uh, volumes, that would be chapters 24 through 33. Now, in this section, there are going to be some new, important new characters introduced. These are the gardeners. They're the aunt and uncle of the the uh, Bennett girls. And you'll see that they act as, as, way as kind of surrogate parents. And think about how they are different from uh, the Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, uh, the, the gardeners. What's different about their outlook, about how they treat the girls, about what they do for the girls? Uh, how, again, is a contrast set up there? Another important contrast is set up because Elizabeth is going to visit her friend Charlotte, who's now married to Mr. Collins. And this will you know, provide a kind of a, a view of what would that married life have been like for her. Uh, again, how are these two women and the life choices that they're making different? Uh, we'll also see a continuing relationship or, or an attempt of a relationship between Darcy and Elizabeth. How do Darcy's feelings about Elizabeth grow and change in this section? So we'll be looking at all of that for next time. I thank you for your attention, and I'll talk to you later.